1: our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 2, verses 17 through 23. That's page 223 in our Blue Pew Bibles, page 223. Ruth chapter 2, verse 17 through 23, the word of the Lord. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over from after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I had worked today with is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, you shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with this, with his young women, lest in any other field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. The word of the Lord. Let
2: us ask the Lord to uh, enrich our lives by His Word. Let us pray. Lord, we have no hope of truly hearing Your Word so that it will affect us and, and enable us to trust You more and to adore You more and to love You and one another more, to conform our ways to Christ. Lord, we ask, therefore, for Your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that gave this Word, Now, to apply it to our hearts and lives. We trust you, Lord, to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 1 of this book gives us Naomi's dark and bitter loss of a husband and two sons in Moab. Yet, in the midst of her pain, this beam of hope, Ruth... Her Moabite daughter-in-law, who gives one of the most startling and most quoted religious confessions in the whole Bible, verses 16 and 17, is on the scene. So there's this horrible pain and loss, but this beam of Ruth, the confessing Moabite, who returns with her to Israel from Moab where she lost her loved ones. Chapter two then shows how this very Ruth goes out to glean, comes to the field of Boaz where she is showered with generosity as we saw last week. This gleaning uh, scene then ends here in verse 17. It says, so she gleaned in the field until evening. That's We started in verse 3, she set out and went and gleaned, and here she finished gleaning. That's a section right there. Uh, But then we come to what we could call the evening review, okay? Verse 2 had them in the home, in the morning plan, and now verses 17 and 23 is the evening review of that plan. I'm going to go out and glean, okay, go. She gleans. she comes back. Now's the rehearsal of what happened. Kay used to sell her artwork at the Canton flea market in Canton, Mississippi, where several famous movies, including uh, A Time to Kill, were uh, were filmed. And this is now a gigantic arts and crafts market put on every fall in Canton. And after one of the really successful markets, in which we had been going 90 to nothing for most of the day, We then, that evening, sat in the bed in the hotel room, counting our money like thieves. (laughs) We still remember that night, you know, we were just counting and couldn't believe how much money we had made that day, at least for our context uh, as early married people. It was the happy evening review. And so that's what we have here at the end of chapter 2, in this this second chapter uh, that is unveiling the glory of God's abundance coming upon Naomi. And after the events of the day, we're thinking, I wonder how much grain she did get because they were leaving it for her own purpose. And what's Naomi going to say about everything that's happened? And the narrator certainly doesn't disappoint us. Now, first, you should note that a regular day's labor. The, the kind of grain that a regular laborer would take home is about a pound or two of grain. Now, for a gleaner, getting the leftovers, it wouldn't have near that much. But like a regular worker would come home with a pound or two. Now, <clears throat> imagine if you got paid every day anywhere from $125 to $175. And let's just say, for the sake of argument, it was cash. So you come home and each day your wife, your husband says, well, so how, what did you make today? Well, I made 140 bucks." And then the next day, oh, I made 150 today. Oh, I made 120 today. And then you come in one day and you say, oh, how much did you make today? $3,000. That's kind of the feel of this. Because she came home with some 30 pounds of grain. And not only that 30 pounds of grain, it it tells us she also came home with ready-to-eat roasted grain as though she had stopped by Central Market on the way home, okay? I mean, where did all this come from? And here's a ready-made meal in addition to this uh, abundance that I have. And you can catch Naomi's emotion in verse 19 because she repeats her question basically, Where did you glean today? Where where, where did you work? It's just one after another. And then she just bursts into praise or or, or blessing. Blessed is the one who did this for you. She didn't even know who it is, you see. She's just caught up. How did this happen? Oh, blessed is the man that did this. And then the the narrator kind of plays with us readers a little bit right here. Uh, You see, Ruth knows, of course, that it's Boaz. But she doesn't know who Boaz is. Uh, Naomi knows who Boaz is, but she doesn't know that that's who's helped her. Okay, And we, the reader, know the whole score. The narrator's let us in on it because in verse 1, he told us who Boaz is. And then we watched this unfolding. So we're kind of sitting here saying, tell her, tell her, tell her it's Boaz. This is so cool. She doesn't even know the providence yet. Tell her. And so the narrator, he could have said right here in verse 19, so she told her it was, no, it was Boaz. But instead, and it's even richer in the Hebrew, but he says, so she told, this is verse 19, so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. That's the way it reads in the Hebrew, the last word. Finally, it's Boaz. And then at that point, of course, there was the, the sucking in the air, hands to the mouth kind of moment. She just couldn't believe it. It's Boaz. He, he, he's a relative. He's one of our redeemers. It, it, it just blew her away. Of course, first that she brought in this abundance and then finds out it's, it's one of the redeemers, one of the close relatives. And again, she bursts into a blessing. This time, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And I would follow several commentators and several versions that would, that would point to this being not the Lord's kindness so much as talking about Boaz' kindness. And in chapter 4, there's a, in verse 14, there's a final blessing to Yahweh for his kindness upon uh, Naomi. But this is probably referring to Boaz himself and his Kesed, that word, that word of loving kindness or committed love, unfailing love, steadfast love. And she blesses God for this. Frederick Bush puts it like this, May the Lord bless him. Boaz, for he has not neglected to show kindness to the living and the dead. The living, of course, being Ruth and Naomi. But back in chapter 1 and verse 8, even Naomi, speaking to her daughters-in-law, said, You have shown kindness, uh, dealt kindly. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. That is to my sons, my husband, and you've dealt kindly to me. And so here, Naomi is blessing him because these men who sadly died and could no longer take care of their wives and their mother now had one stepping in their place and showing them a kindness to take up that responsibility and to show this kindness to the living and the dead. And so this word redeemer comes out. And in this case, uh, the commentators would say it's not in its technical sense of actually paying a price because that's not what's being done here. But it's in the general sense of one who delivers a member of one's kinship group from evil of any kind. A deliverer. Who rescues one of his own kinsmen uh, from whatever evil it may be? In Psalm 72, 14 it said, The king redeems the poor and needy from oppression and violence. It's the same word. And so here, Boaz is the one who is redeeming Ruth and Naomi from their destitution a Redeemer from their destitution has come. And this is, this is Naomi's rebirth. Think of the difference in her cry in chapter 1 that the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. And now he's saying, "Bless, uh, may this man be blessed by the Lord because he has shown kessid to us. He has not forsaken uh, faithful love to us. Then Ruth, in her next statement, it's not just for information, but it's as though she's kind of putting two and two together, this word that's translated besides in our uh, translation. It's as though she's saying, and, and another thing, oh, oh, I get it. That's why he told me uh, to keep close to the young men until they finished all my, my harvest. It's, she's piecing it together that this uh, Redeemer has continuing His redemption to her. He's continuing to bring them out of destitution through uh, the continued commitment for them to be there. And so, of course, Naomi uh, urges her to do just that in verse 22. And then it gives a report of the next week. She kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest, about seven weeks leading up to Pentecost. So from April to early June is the period of time that we're talking about here. Now, before we make several applications, just notice this odd ending of the chapter. It's a little turn. It's as though the engine is running and suddenly it turns off. Has that ever happened to you? Or your car, you started it, and then it just suddenly cuts off and you're like, whoa, 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 I've got to go to work, you know. Well, there's kind of that feel because you're expecting this Redeemer to do the whole thing. And there's already kind of the understanding. Is he going to commit himself to Ruth? Is Are they going to get together? Or what's he going to do long term? But it says after the harvest. It just says she went to live with her mother-in-law. Everything was back to the same. It's this great chapter. And a great outcry. And you're expecting what's happening next. And it says and she went back to live with her mother-in-law. Which sets the stage for... Chapter 3 and the threshing floor incident. So what's what's happened here is Naomi has been brought to new life, new expectation of what God may do. And, of course, she starts working on it in Chapter 3. But that's where this chapter leaves us. And several things, though, I want to point out that we can learn from this passage. Number one is the abundance of God's grace in His people's lives. The abundance of grace. What else are we to learn from the fact that he didn't just give her the normal amount of grain or even double that amount. No, it was overflowing. She probably Her back was probably hurting by the time she got home, just lugging all that. Some people think it may have been as much as 50 pounds, but at least 30 pounds. So she is weighed down with the blessing of God, and that's a happy thought, isn't it? To be weighed down, to be enriched, to be overflowing with the rich abundance of God's grace. Paul tells us in Ephesians 3 he's able to do far beyond what you could ask or think. Not just a little, you know, he's outside where you would think he could go. No, it's way, way beyond all that you ask or think. And Paul says there, according to the power that works within us. It's not just, oh, yeah, well, I know he can make galaxies. Uh, I recently heard they think there are more galaxies than grains of sand. Grains of each galaxy has billions of stars. No, and that can't be possible. What, but even there, that's not what Paul's talking about. He says, according to the power that works within you. He's able to do unimaginable things in your life. That's the abundance of grace that is given to us in Christ Jesus. Forgiveness that is beyond what you could expect. Transformation beyond what you could expect. This table tells us that. This table is a sign of a feast. Okay? It's a sign of the feast. It, Isaiah 55 says, Come you and enjoy the feast of salvation from God. But this abundance, secondly, is in the face of destitution. The abundance comes in the face of destitution, in the context of impoverishment. Undoubtedly, Ruth was the poorest, most alienated, and destitute, disconnected person there that day. She's the one that walked home with an abundance, you see. It's the same thing as in uh, the, when Jesus is walking in the crowd and there's one woman. Not, not everybody there had been bleeding for 12 years, hemorrhaging. But everybody was jostling around him. But one woman found healing and one woman touched, was touched by the power and grace of Jesus Christ. One woman's life was transformed and she was the one that was in the worst condition. That's what God loves to do. Find me a desert. That's where I want to put my oasis. Find me a desert and I will put an oasis there to show how great I am. You know, for a nation or a particular economy, section of an economy somewhere, to make something of land that's already verdant and productive, Versus here was land that was totally unproductive. There was no water there. It's been transformed like certain places in Southern California. That's what God does. He brings oasis to the desert. And so you can't go on, you think, you can't resist anymore. You can't change. You don't have the capacity to trust Him and believe in His goodness. You don't have the capacity to rejoice, you say. I, don't, I can't feel close to Him anymore. I can't pray. Name it. Keep naming them. And come to His grace and say, Lord, I, like Ruth, am destitute. I have nothing. But You are the one that brings abundance into my life. Lord, I trust you. Brothers and sisters, never, ever stop trusting in His abundant goodness. That is what we learn here. Nothing less than that. Whatever devastations have entered in, it only makes way for abundance to be poured out into our lives. Because that is what God is about. I recently mentioned in a Sunday school class a book by... uh, Larry Crabb, called Shattered Dreams, but the subtitle has to do with finding ultimate joy in Christ. In the midst of shattered dreams, we find the greatest joy there can be in life, the joy of fellowship with God. And so, there is abundance, and it's abundance in the midst of destitution. And thirdly, there is this idea of Redemption, which shows us from God's standpoint in the New Testament context. And you see, everybody who helps in any way in the Old Testament form some kind of shadow or preview of the glory of Jesus Christ. And certainly Boaz is one of the prominent ones as a redeemer here. But in the New Testament, we read, as Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, you were redeemed. From the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and, or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. For on God's part, there is this lavish expenditure to have us for his own. A, an intensity of love and desire that we can't fathom because He spent His own Son for us. That's Paul's argument. If He was going to hold something back, He would have held his son back His Son, but He wouldn't even hold back His Son. Contemplating His Son's infinite suffering didn't cause Him to withhold Him. Why? Because He so loved the world that He gave His Son. There is no limit to the desire that he has to save his people. It made me think of terrible things like kidnapping. And you think of a parent. And, of course, they play on a parent's love of the child. And a parent in that case, they think, if I could give any amount of money, I would. I don't care what it is. I don't care if I'm poor for the rest of my life. I don't care. My money means nothing to me. I can have my son back, my daughter back. And I know the situation is different because here, he's, specifically Peter says, he's not giving his money, he's giving his son. He's giving his son in that seemingly almost desperate act. That How, how could you give him? How could you look upon us who turned against you and spend him for us? How could you? But Jesus, the Son of God, impoverished himself. You're familiar perhaps with this verse. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He impoverished himself in a way that we will never know how. We we can't fathom the impoverishment of bearing the judgment of God. The deprivation that he experienced, impoverishing himself for us. So, this abundance to the destitute came through the loss of redemption. Came through the impoverishment of himself. This abundance came through his purposeful taking on unlimited pain upon himself. That's the intensity with which He offers Himself to each one of you, to be your faithful shepherd. It's a shepherd's love. It's the love of one who died for you, who spent everything for you. And rightly so, we should say, how can I not trust Him? Yet we do not trust Him very often. But it's all calculated so that we would give our hearts up to His will. Psalm 40, I close with this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust." Why do people see and fear and put their trust in the Lord? It's because of your song. The song of your joy over Christ. Your uh, vehement desire to give up yourself to Christ and serve Him with gladness in all circumstance. And whatever loss, that still you're there to give yourself away to others and to give yourself up to the will of God. Because He has put this kind of song in your mouth and people see it and they fear. They're in awe. They're in awe of people that could love like that. That could have that kind of sustenance in the midst of the worst kind of situation. They're in awe of it. Because they've never seen such a thing. And isn't it wonderful in Revelation in several places, they sang a new song forever forever and ever we will rejoice that we who were destitute have an eternal abundance through the impoverishment of our savior let us pray o oh lord if there is anyone here who does not trust you turn his or her heart to you even now give them grace lord take away unbelief in each one of our hearts may we gladly put our lives Ever and always in your hands in prayer, in meditation in the word, in our worship, in our giving ourselves to all that you've called us to, Lord, in every way. Enable us to see your beauty and to entrust ourselves to you. Thank you that you give your people an abundance, though we are destitute. We praise you in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.
1: Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America.
0: Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light. Oh, come with blissful Shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away? Then shall my soul with rapture trace.